Unless you want to, it's the Ron and Don Show, starring Ron and Don, and sometimes me, at ronanddon.com. Hey you guys, what's going on? Welcome to episode 409, that's 409 of the Ron and Don Show, with 1,400,000 listens. That is unbelievable, that's a new world record here on the Ron and Don Show. Thanks for that, you guys, and thanks to great sponsors like Les Schwab, we are Live from the Les Schwab studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up with the Ron and Don Show, yeah, we got to talk about Amber and Johnny, because everyone's been talking about Amber and Johnny. Also, we got to talk about cash and therapy for men at risk. Does it really help? Uh, in fact, they gave some cash and some therapy to some men, and then they followed them over a couple of years. And you're not going to believe what happened. Again, these are men at risk that a lot of times would end up getting into some trouble, right? Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. Bruce Harrell, who I've been pretty hard on, and I said, yeah, if he doesn't get this figured out here in the city of Seattle, I may jump in and run for mayor. And the thing that I have said on this program is two things. One, you have to shut the campground down when it comes to homelessness here in Seattle. I've also said, number two, that you have to shut down the merry-go-round. And I haven't heard anyone talk about the merry-go-round, but the merry-go-round is this, and you guys have seen this. A lot of these derelict RVs, have been in our neighborhoods for so long that when the RV ends up moving to the other side of the street, we recognize it. We can see that it's the same RV. I don't know what's happening in your neighborhood, in my neighborhood. They have tried removing some of the RVs and putting big concrete blocks there. So what it has done is is taken away parking from everyone so nobody can park there. I was also in Ballard the other day where Bruce Harrell went in a number of months ago and they shut down the park and they fenced the park. Well, you can see that homeless people now are sneaking back inside the park. The park is still closed. This is a park I went to with my son to do some skateboarding, and we got run out. At the time, we got run out, and we got run out by the homeless people there. There were 165 tents there in the Ballard Commons. So the tents are no longer there, but there's also a park that we can't use. There's parking right at the bottom of my street that has these concrete barriers. Nobody can park there. No one can use that. And what you see, some of the RVs are gone. But some of the RVs have been pushed down the street. Some of the RVs are on the other side of the street. Some of the RVs are down by SPU. And then there's other RVs that it blows my mind that are under the Ballard Bridge or under some of the overchanges. And I sit there and I watch these guys sell bicycles and all kinds of stuff. And no one's there to stop them. And finally, you have the police chief come out yesterday and he said, yeah, you know what? We have half the detectives that we had three years ago when when... Can you believe that? Half the detectives. And they said, here in Seattle, there's just a lot of crime that we can't investigate. And they said, even when it comes to sexual assault and rape, the city of Seattle and the current police force, they aren't actively investigating uh, any of those crimes because they can't. Because they don't have the police officers to do it. So to get those police officers back, I think we have to hand them a city where they can actually enforce some of the laws. Bruce Harrell came out and he said, hey, I got a plan for homelessness. Here's the plan. I, I, as soon as I read one thing, I stopped reading the plan because it's not going to work. And the reason it's not going to work is because he said this. He said, and this is him backtracking now. 
He said, if we can't provide shelter, if there's no shelter, there is no sweep. If we can't provide shelter for someone, no shelter, no sweep. They're saying there's 20,000 people now in King County that are homeless. A lot of them are here in Seattle because a lot of uh, places like Bellevue, man, they just don't put up with it. (laughs) They're like, we saw that coming over the bridge and we just pushed that back in Seattle. So you can't do that. If you are promising shelter for everyone, you know what that means? More people are going to move here. Hey, did you hear in Seattle? They're promising shelter for everyone. And in fact, in the city of Seattle, they have now said, if there's no shelter for us, there's no sweep. There's no shelter for 20,000 people. Bruce Harrell came out and said, well, we just bought this hotel. I looked into the hotel that they bought up in Green Lake. It'll shelter 70 people. 70 people is not close to 20,000 people. As far as spending money on homelessness, a couple of years ago, we spent $63 million and we ranked number three in the country as far as spending money and we're the 12th largest city. This past year, we spent $152 million on homelessness in the crisis. And I just ask you, when I look around, all it's doing is attracting more people to come here. And that's what's happened. I remember when Ron and I started on the radio and we had under 5,000 people on the streets. Now we're saying it's 20,000. You know what? As long as Bruce Harrell is, is promising shelter and he's not going to sweep, and if your RV is your home, it's your home, as long as he's not going to enforce any of that, he's just going to have the same issues that all the mayors that have come before. Someone has to have the brass balls, you guys, excuse my language, to step forward and say, number one, the campground is closed. Number two, we are shutting down the merry-go-round. Number three, I am apologizing to the police officers that we offended when we said we're going to defend all of them or defund all of them. And we're going to invite many of them to come back if we can get them to come back. And we're going to write bonuses like there are in Pierce County and other places right now for ten grand just to hang on to an officer. They're writing checks. All over the here in Seattle, we're not writing those checks. So I'm going to apologize. And then the other thing that I'm going to make sure that we do is I'm going to let people know. I'm going to let the world know. I'm going to let the country know we are not promising shelter for everyone. We cannot provide shelter for everyone. Everyone's shelter is not our responsibility. And that's because a lot of the people that are on our streets want to be on our streets. They don't want to be in shelters. Shelters have rules. They don't want to follow those rules. And shelters that the city provides, yeah, you can't do drugs. Can't do that. You're not going to be able to do that. Can't sell drugs. Can't do drugs. So there's so many people here. If you, Union Gospel Mission has beds open tonight, you guys. And people will not go to the Union Gospel Mission because there are rules at the Union Gospel Mission. And Ron and I know that because we've been to the mission multiple times. And we've seen this with our own eyes. So anyway, Bruce Harrell was... Really, I thought, Ron, making some En-ROADS, and then he came out with this plan, and I'm just like, yeah, that's not going to work. He's going to leave the merry-go-round spinning, and he's going to allow people to keep camping here in Seattle. And the invitation to say we have to provide shelter for everyone, Katie barred the door because here comes homeless people from all over the country to lo- live right here in Seattle. I-, I do have some sympathy for Bruce Harrell in this regard. There is an entrenched, you, you, you came up with this moniker years ago, a uh, homeless industrial complex in Seattle that's been around a long, long time. And for those of you that have never worked in government, 
Here's how the budgets work, which is completely opposite, I think, of, of most people in business. The, these folk, I, I worked at the city of Bellevue way back in the day and was astonished when this happens. You get allocated a budget for the calendar year. So if you're in, in the city of Seattle, city of Bellevue, whatever, uh, let's say you're in this homelessness division, you get allocated part of that $100 million that Don talked about. And so that is your budget for the year. You may let, let's call it a million dollars. And so we're, we're running this outreach program or we're running a food program or we're running a retraining program, whatever it is that we're running. And we have this million dollars. Well, round about, you know, November or October, November, December, if we don't spend all million of the, every dollar of the million dollars, then next year's budget is not going to be approved for the increase that we have. So next year we want a million too. And so even if we haven't spent it, even if we don't, if we've been trying to save money and do a good job and be efficient, the way municipal budgets work is you have to spend it all in order to get your money next year. So an incredible amount of time and effort and resources is spent on how am I going to manage this money? How do I spend it all? How does my budget increase next year? And how do I keep this gravy train rolling? How do I stay on this government spoon from year to year to year? What are the criteria they are using so that when I give them my million two budget for 2023, that that gets approved? And so they're not incentivized to solve homelessness. They are not incentivized to take a case which is a human being and transition them from an RV to stable housing, from drug addiction to sober lifestyle. That's not what they're incentivized on. They're incentivized to spend all their budget and to get a bigger budget for next year. So that's what they focus on. And so when Bruce Harrell comes out and he says, well, I'm going to start doing these sweeps or moving these things. There's so much political backlash internally behind the scenes saying, hey, Bruce, this is how many voters I can represent. This is, uh, if you're like a Shama Sawanto person, I can mobilize this many voters and we are going to come after you if you start to uh, uh, infringe on our budget, if you start to insinuate that my program is no longer needed, if you start to say there's going to be conditions for me that go above and beyond me just spending the money that I have and trying to get more money next year, we're going to vote you out. We are going to put pro, po, apply political pressure to you. But when you follow the money on this deal and you look at results – it is not based on what is best for homeless people. It is not based on reasonable things that you would see in the business community. Like, like when Don and I do our real estate thing, it's based on how many real estate deals do you have? That, that's the metric. Either you're doing that or you're not doing that. In the homeless business in Seattle, it's not based on how many homeless people you assist. It's based on politics on the industrial complex, can I spend my money, my budget, and will I get more next year? And so in that regard, Bruce Harrell is screwed. It is nearly impossible for one politician to dismantle the infrastructure that's been built across five or six different administrations, and they are entrenched, they want their payday, and they want homelessness to stick around because with homelessness sticks around, they continue to get a paycheck. Yeah. Now here's a story about one of our great clients. 
Attorney Ann Fitzpatrick needed to move to Tacoma for family reasons and turned to Ron and Don for help. The market was tight, but Ann spotted what could be the perfect house. It was Thanksgiving Day, though, so she emailed the guys and told them, hey, don't worry about it until tomorrow. And of course, they ignored what I said about don't work on Thanksgiving. And we immediately got in with an inspector the very next morning, uh, you know, immediately started strategizing. Ron and Don told them there'd be plenty of competition and a fierce bidding war. So instead of waiting, they came up with a strategy to put on the full court press and make an early offer to convince the seller to go with Anne. We actually managed to scoop up this house before anybody else had a chance. So if you're looking to buy in such a tight market anywhere around the sound, you need a team on your side with deep expertise, creativity, and tireless dedication to their clients 24-7, even on holidays. And it all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down at ronanddonsitdown.com. Sign up for the nation news at ronanddonradio.com. All right, you guys, welcome back uh, to the Ron and Don Show. A lot of people, and, and I know this is a few days old by uh, the time you hear this, but I think it was yesterday we just heard the Amber Heard and Johnny, as we all call him. Uh, just Johnny and Amber in the courtroom, and he wasn't there in the courtroom. He was overseas in the U.K. playing with his band, and it seems like most of the verdict went his way in this defamation trial. Ron and I have been through defamation trials, a number of them. We were were defamed, and we won uh, as a result of that. And we shared those stories before. It's a very, very high bar, and it's hard to win. But because of Ann Bremner, who's a phenomenal attorney, uh, she got the job done. And that was with a publication called The Atlantic and also the, the city of Seattle here. So with that said, as you're watching this trial... And as people, and especially a lot of women, I've been really surprised at the amount of women that have been cheering for Johnny. Ron, what is your take? Uh, what's your take on this trial? Yeah, it's interesting. And just to give the verdict, uh, the verdict was actually fifteen million dollars towards Johnny Depp, uh, two million dollars re- awarded. So everybody won, but in different amounts. Amber was awarded two million. The judge then knocked that down to a little over ten million because of a Virginia statute that limits uh, the amount of money you can get in that regard. So she says her lawyer is saying she can't pay that amount that she doesn't have the ten million dollars, even though she had vowed to donate the money. And we don't have to get into all those details. This, it has been interesting in this regard. Um, it's been such a spectacle online, and this became a must, much must-watch TV for a lot of people because the case was televised. The, the critique that I've heard is that this would have a chilling effect on women that were actually have, have suffered a sexual abuse and, and want to move forward with a trial or have been abused. And that uh, this could maybe make them second think that, second guess that, or not move forward for fear of all these details getting out in the public and then not being awarded. I think that's a legitimate concern. And it's this Hollywood version is such a cartoon, though, that it's, it's not the same for a regular person. And so I, I hope that if there are women that have suffered abuse and they want to bring these legal matters forward that they continue to do it because you're probably not married to Johnny Depp who may lose a movie contract with the pirates of the Caribbean. Um, That's a very specific narrow case study there. So I think those concerns could have ripple effects. Obviously you want women that have been abused 
to go after their abuser and to put them in their place. The culture has moved in that direction of making it more acceptable to do that. At the same time, if there are people that are trying to use that uh, and don't have a legitimate claim, and that's what Johnny Depp was saying, that this is not a legitimate, she's, she's trying to hashtag the Me Too movement and to put that on me when it was unwarranted, there also needs to be safeguards to protect people like Aziz Ansari, or in this case, if it is true, like Johnny Depp. Yeah, it's interesting because in the U.K., the judge there saw all the same information. But if you go and you look at the way that Johnny Depp and Amber Heard handled themselves in that trial, it was different than it was in this trial. And guess what? It wasn't a jury over there. It was a judge. And the judge just basically told Johnny Depp to get the hell out of his courtroom. He's like, you know what? You were an abuser. The things that were written about you, uh, they deserve to be written because they were true. So how... Fast forward, do we come to the United States? There's a jury trial of, I believe, five men and two women sat on this jury. And how do we get a completely different outcome when it's the same information, but different countries, but our countries and our legal systems aren't that different? How can you have a judge over there just saying publicly to Johnny Depp, you're everything that she said that you were? So, of course, you just lost your case. And here in the States, man, everybody is celebrating Johnny. It's a little bit of a different case because the one in the UK involves this claim, but also a publication over there that called Johnny Depp a wife beater. So there was a little bit. You're right, though. It's very similar, but there's a little bit of difference. Um, I mean, that's just what a jury does. Amber Heard's lawyer in the outtakes that I saw, and I did not invest a tremendous amount of time watching this case. That lawyer was not good. He the, the famous clip of him objecting to his own question uh, became a meme online of like, he asks a question, then he does the objection, and everyone in the courtroom was like, dude, it's your question. Why are you objecting to yourself? Uh, that lawyer did not do a good service to Amber. Um, and then as, the, as all the tawdry details came out, Johnny Depp's attorney made a compelling case that, hey, this particular woman... You cannot trust everything she's saying. Whereas in the the UK case, it's a different standard, as you just said, and they have different libel laws uh, because when you look at you know the Sun and the Daily Mail and all those things, the paparazzi environment there is very different, and so it's just a different set of laws. Yeah, I was when I watch all this, I I. And my son had some feelings about it, and not from me, from one of his caregivers. And his caregivers has all kinds of uh, feelings about this. So I asked the caregiver, uh, hey, I care about my son, and I care about you sharing your feelings about this trial. I, I, I saw it, I guess, completely different than everybody else. Completely different. I saw a house. I, I saw a very violent place. And violence just doesn't happen when you hit somebody. I grew up in a house that was very violent when I saw him in the kitchen. And he's slamming those cupboards. And then he knows he's being filmed. And he gets up and he walks over and he picks up her phone and he slams her phone and breaks her phone. Uh, I believe that he did go into jealous rages and was controlling not only with her but with other women. And... And they started to make light of his cocaine addiction and also his alcohol addiction. 
the the movie the pirates of the caribbean it seems like when he's playing that character that he's high and drunk the whole time and in fact if you watch him in the uk compared to watch him here in the states when he took the stand and i said this before i'd never seen a pirates of the caribbean movie because of this trial my son wanted me to watch and so i watched and and when i saw clips of him in the uk where he lost and then I saw him take a completely different approach here. He, he was Captain Sparrow when he was on the stands, down to the rings that were on his fingers, same exact rings they wore in the movies. And I've shared this before. I just saw a house that was riddled with addiction, that was riddled with violence, and I don't mean just hitting. I mean yelling. I mean screaming. I mean intimidation. And then how could either one of them, and especially him, how could you remember a lot of that, whether whether what she said was true or not, because you're effing high, you're drunk, you're passed out. You're all so I didn't I didn't see either of these two humans step forward and go, you know what? I got to take some responsibility here for my actions. I got to take some responsibility for my addictions. I have to take some responsibility for my anger. That's not okay. And I I I I, I grew up in that house. And, and, and when I saw him doing that and I saw her doing that, it was terrorizing to me. I didn't enjoy watching the trial because I grew up with, with two people fighting like that, with that kind of anger. And, and it was a moment for me to really look at that and go, okay, well, who really won here? I'm going to bet the attorneys take most, if not all the money. That's what I'm going to bet. Johnny was betting win, lose, or draw that he might get an opportunity to go back and work at a movie. But you know what I learned? I don't see that he's worked on his addiction at all. I don't see that he's worked on his anger. I, I don't. I don't. I don't see any of that. So I. I don't think either of them won. You win when you step into who you really are. You win when you take on hard things. And neither of them did that. They went into court. They destroyed each other, absolutely destroyed each other. And I don't think that he is made whole, like he said in his statement, and that his life is given back to him. And what kind of life did you have anyway that you want to be given back to you, where it's just riddled with addiction and that kind of anger? So I was disgusted by it. And, and people saying I'm on Team Johnny or Team Ant or whatever that is. Uh, I had someone the other day call me an amber. They said, you're just, you're just being an amber right now. I'm like, huh. We'll see you on this side. Hey, it's Ron Don here with Mitch Weeks. You know him better as Mitch.loan. Mitch, do I need 20% down in cash to buy a house in this expensive market? You absolutely do not. And that's one of the big things I do when I sit down at meetings is we talk about the cost of waiting and I'll talk to someone and look at what they're renting for and what it will cost them in order to wait to save 20% down. And often putting as low as 10, 5% down is actually a better long-term financial deal. Even if you have to pay a little mortgage insurance up front, you get to buy that much sooner and gain that much more appreciation on that home. Okay, so if you've been staying out of the market because you think, well, I don't have 20% down, you don't need 20%, go to Mitch.loans, talk to Mitch, figure this out, get a game plan. You can do a Ronadon sit down with us and we will partner with you. And don't forget, you can get that up to one half percent back on the value of your loan. Just go to Mitch.loans. 
All right, you guys, welcome back uh, to the Ron and Don Show. This, this is kind of interesting. And we were talking about the homeless crisis that's going on right now. We also talked about really trying to be better at supporting specifically men in black and brown communities. It's one of the reasons why Ron and I, when we were younger, we joined the Big Brother program uh, to support, especially young men in black and brown communities, because those are usually the boys that are lined up that are looking for a big brother. And it's usually white guys that'll say, yeah, I'll be a big brother. And then they're like, oh, but I'm going to have a african-american child as yeah i don't think so and so a lot of times guys end up walking away in droves and because they feel like they can't relate and they can't help as a result of that we have seen incarcerations here around the country uh just skyrocket when it comes to folks in the black and brown community and what they've wondered is in certain communities if we provided therapy uh for men specifically in black and brown communities. And we provided some means of some type of cash, cash and therapy. They wondered what kind of effect that this would have. Yeah. And there was a researcher that happened to set this program up, I believe it was in Liberia because of how cost effective it would be for us uh, budgets. And so they got a thousand men uh, that were some of the worst of the worst, quote unquote, in that society. And they, in that society, they gave him $200, which was, you know, he, that's why he wanted to do it there because his money just went so much longer. And they set up this cognitive behavioral therapy course. And so you got the, they had three groups to do the study. One got just therapy, one got therapy in cash. And then a third of them got nothing. They were just enrolled in the group and they were the, the control group. And so what they found is that the group that got the therapy and the cash, 10 years later, they followed up on this. It was still having a positive effect. And the cool thing of what they did is they would do group therapy with between 10 and 20 guys and they would practice what it was like to put on another persona. I found this to be very interesting. And so they would do things like, hey, what would it be like to change your appearance? We're going to do it. We're going to do a role play today. We're going to change your appearance and we're going to pretend like you're opening up a bank account. So that would be like one of the therapy things. And so you'd have a, a person that was involved in a gang or in some sort of crime ring and they would bring in a rack of suits. And the person would go into a changing room, pick out a suit that they liked. They would dress up in this suit. And for the purposes of that class, they would act the part of a guy in the mainstream applying for a bank account. And so they would try on these personas. Uh, another one they would do is to try on the persona of like, what would it be like if you were working a regular job or if you were your own small business owner? And so they would change their appearance they would talk it through, and then they would role play these different things uh, in some of the cognitive behavioral therapy sessions. Then they also did work on how do you uh, work through anger? How do you work through violence? How do you work through trauma? Uh, some of the, the standard stuff that happens. And so it was so profoundly uh, positive in this overseas scenario that this same researcher is like, hey, can we bring this back to Chicago? And can we try this in Chicago? And the, the magic number was giving people around two to three months of money for them. If they're going to try this new persona on, they need a runway of about two to three months of cash. And the, the effects were absolutely profound. 
um, and the changes in the Liberia study have lasted a decade. Yeah. Here's, here's what's interesting to me about this because I started on a journey of therapy uh, this fall will be five years, five years ago. And it's interesting because on my Facebook page, I have a Facebook page that probably a lot of you don't have because my Facebook page has fans and then it has followers and it has friends, fans, friends, followers. And then what my page allows me to do is it gives me a specific dashboard and it tells me, it gives me the insights of who's following me and also the insights of who is reacting and responding to the things that I say. Because Facebook wants someone like me to know because I create a lot of content online, whether it be real estate or whether it be stuff where I'm just kicking around with my son, like I did something, we're at the nursery when it was just pounding down rain over the weekend. And so we made a cool, quick video, a funny video about uh, summers in Seattle, that summers arrived. And so those things get a lot of play. And Facebook wants me to know, hey, these are the things that are doing well. When you go with your son to uh, the nursery, people really like that. And then maybe when you put something up there about you uh, working on a house, then a lot of other people really like that, but it's a different group of people. And because they want you to keep creating that content. When, when I started talking about going to therapy, my Facebook page at the time, that and, and it was probably the same with the people that listened to us on the radio, we, we did news talk. Typically on news talk, it's usually about somewhere between 70 to 90% of the people that listen to news talk are men and the rest are women. What Ron and I did on Cairo is we turned it upside down and we had about 60% that listened were men, 40% women, and then it flip-flop. And then it was 60% uh, women, 40% men, especially when we started talking about these things and going on journeys and seeking help and, and therapy and healing and all that, uh, dealing with your drinking, uh, some of the books that we were reading by Ryan Holly, all that stuff that I've talked about. On my Facebook page, over the last couple years, I have gone from having... 60, 70% men to now my Facebook page is 70% women, 30% men. And the reason is, I believe, when you start talking about therapy, therapy, when you start talking about therapy, and I've had a lot of men tell me and they'll write me and they'll tell me I'm lighting the loafers, whatever that means, and, and, and other stuff. Men get really uncomfortable with that. We get re- we we want to hang out in husband land, or we want to hang out in that man cave that we created for ourselves. And then we invite our man cave friends over, and then we barbecue and we drink beer and we do shots and we do because in a lot of ways we're trying to hang on to our youth. And then at some point, at some like for me, I physically had to dismantle the man cave in my house when it was time for me to get on with my freaking life. And part of that was going through therapy. My therapist didn't tell me to dismantle it. I just knew in order to move forward, I needed to do that. I wish men were more open to therapy. I wish men that have gone through therapy would tell other men. And we, and, and, and it's interesting to me because I've had a lot of my guy friends to say, man, on that podcast, or on your Facebook page, or on Instagram, or when you were doing terrestrial radio, that was really brave of you to talk about therapy. 
Then you get into black and brown communities and start talking about therapy. There's a state troopers, African-American that I work with. And he says people get tripled down on him, not only on the police department, but also his friends that are black and brown and the guys that he hangs out with and the people in his family. Because they're like, dude, what? You're 32 years old and you're going to therapy? Yeah, he's going to therapy. And the reason he's going to therapy, do you know what it's like right now to be a cop and to be a black cop? He stood out there on I-5 in the middle of the night during the riots when someone was killed on I-5. And he's standing there dressed in full battle rattle and trying to protect uh, other cops as they were being attacked and having people on the other side that were mostly black and brown people and some activists saying some really horrific things to him. And it's like, man, if I don't go get help, how am I going to continue to be a cop? How am I going to continue to be part of the answer? Because I I have people on not just both sides, but all sides of the equation that are mad and upset with me. At the same time, I just brought a little girl in the world. And I got to figure out how I'm going to be a great... So I applaud him. I absolutely applaud him for going out and saying, I need therapy. But Ron, this is something that men, this is something men are not, are not comfortable with, and I we we see it even in our listenership on this podcast. The majority of people, seventy percent of the people that listen to this podcast are women because they're they're great with the journey. They embrace therapy. They're okay with things changing, and men are not. That that is true. And if anything, going back to this crime study, if if you can get gang members. And people with felony records, people that have been in jail that sign up for this and change their life, then if you are more advantaged than that, it'll be even easier for you. So well said on that. And, and try it. You, there, there's so many apps now that you can just dip your toe in the water without it being weird. Like go onto one of the apps. And they're not sponsors of the show. I think BetterHelp is one of them. Uh, you can get a therapist online. You can do it by Zoom. You can just have a conversation. I had a, a friend of mine that is in his 80s and he did his first therapy session of his life after talking with you and I and he reached out to me recently was like that was one of the best things I've ever done I was carrying around stuff for 40 years Mm. that I wanted to talk about and I finally talked about it yeah yeah anyway this is BJ Shea from CastW and and Ron and some other people that kind of opened the doors for me Commit to it. Just do it for a specific time and then ask yourself, did my life get better, worse, or kind of stay the same? Um, And ask yourself that question. But commit to it for a specific amount of time and go deep and be brave because you got to be brave. Got to be so brave. Hey, you guys, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show this episode. 410 is on the way before you know it. We want to thank our title sponsor here. In fact, uh, the summer driving season is here, so if you need tires, stop by Les Schwab. And also, if you need help with a loan right now, uh, pick up the phone. Give Mitch a call. Yeah, Mitch.loans will help you out. Half a percent can go of your loan can go back to you in various ways uh, to ask him about that. And also get in touch with me at ronadonsitdown.com. Let's start your real estate journey. Schedule a sit-down right there on the website. Yeah, and I tell you what, our advertisers, they greatly benefit from the Ronadon Nation. This podcast now has a million four hundred thousand spins. A lot of people listen to it. If you are thinking that you would like to be an advertiser on the Ron and Don Show, reach out to me. You can write me, Don O'Neill, at windermere.com or go to ronadonsitdown.com. Send us a note. We're going to take on three more advertisers here on the podcast, and that's it. 
Uh, and it's not super expensive, you guys. It just helps pay for the podcast. And I guarantee you, you'll get great business. Uh, this is why our real estate business has gone ba-boom. It's because of this podcast. It's why Les Schwab sells a lot of tires, and they do a lot of great things in the community, helping people, because of this podcast. That's why they've been with us for 12 years. And Mitch, every time I turn around, he's getting an award for something online. It's because of the Ron and Don Nation and the Ron and Don Podcast. So if you want to be a part of this, and again, we're only going to take on three advertisers, write us, ronanddonsitdown.com. And it'd be really cool if you are somehow in the home rehab or maybe you have a business, a moving business, uh, maybe you have a business, a foundation business, maybe you're a HVAC business, whatever it is. Maybe you're a plumber, electrician, whatever. Uh, let's have a conversation about getting you on this podcast, all right? Head up, shoulders back. We'll see you next time for episode 410. All day on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and keep blowing that trumpet and we'll see you next time. Only. 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 Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network.